The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Well, I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ruth. And I hope that you successfully found it just a few minutes ago when we read. But if you haven't found it, it is this little book that's tucked into the Old Testament between the books of Judges and First Samuel. It has only four chapters, but it is a, it's a little book that's just packed with just great images, great lessons to be learned. There's, it's a book about romance. It's a book about beautiful imagery. And I've chosen this subject, the book of Ruth, for our Mother's Day celebration today because I know that women really like these kinds of stories. And uh, some of you men, if you'll admit it, you you don't mind having a little teary-eyed type of uh, story be told to you either, uh, love stories. Admit it, you're mushy too. But this is, a, this is a great little book, and here we find a, a story of redemption, and we find just a wonderful picture of the salvation that we have in Christ. Now, today's message will be a little bit different from what I normally preach, because I, I want to preach this message in the form of story. I want to just tell you the story of Ruth. Uh, a few years ago, I think maybe around 2004, if I'm not mistaken, I might have to look up that date again. But uh, way back then, I did a series of 18 messages on the book of Ruth, and that just tells you that there is a lot of information that is in these four chapters. There's so many things that we could talk about, but I've only got just a few minutes today to condense all of that into one sermon. So I'm not going to keep you here for a long, long time. We're just going to compact the story and tell you a little bit about uh, what Ruth is trying to tell us here, the book of Ruth is telling us and the pictures that God has for us. We have here a story of ruin, and it's a story of salvation. It's a story of God's favor upon his people. It's a story of providence, a story of blessings. Uh, Ruth has always been considered a great love story, even though in the entire book, in all these four chapters, the word love is not mentioned But love shines all throughout these four chapters. Now, before we're through then, we'll find love here. We find the love that a man had for a woman and a woman for a man. But most importantly, the love that God has for his people. Now, keep your Bibles open if you would. We're going to read uh, several places in the book of Ruth here as we go along. So I'll refer to different scriptures within these four chapters. Now, I want to begin talking to you today, uh, the first part of the story is the crisis, the crisis. We read that first chapter just a little while ago, and the first chapter has a crisis in it, actually more than one crisis, because this is a, a chapter that's filled with turmoil, and it's really a bleak picture for a woman named Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. Now, the first crisis considers uh, a... Um, Uh, concerns a family that experienced a famine in Israel. There was a man by the name of Elimelech. His wife was Naomi, and they had two sons that were named Malon and Kilion. This was a family that lived in Bethlehem. And as you know, Bethlehem was later called the city of David. It's also the place where Jesus was born. 
But this story takes place about 250 years before David and about 1,300 years before Christ. The story starts in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem is a word that means house of bread. Only at this particular time in Israel's history, there was no bread in Bethlehem. Instead, there was a great famine that engulfed the land and all of Israel was suffering the problems, the starvation that happened because of this famine. So Elimelech, his wife and his children were among the starving people that were in Bethlehem. And so Elimelech decided that what he would do was to gather his family up and he would take them into another place, which was the place or the land of Moab. And I have to tell you, that is a very, that was a very bad choice. If you know the history of Moab, you would understand that it was a bad place for Elimelech to take his family. Uh, God told Israel, told all the people of Israel, that if they were faithful to him, that he would bless them in the land that he had given. Now, he had promised them the land of Canaan, the land that's flowing with milk and honey. And God said, if you'll be faithful to me, I will bless you in this land. But we're talking about a time when Israel was not faithful to God. This was during the period of the judges. Uh, there were great problems that happened during that time, and the people weren't following the Lord as they should. In fact, we find in the last verse of the book of Judges, just before we get into the book of Ruth, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And what we have here is the story of a man who did what was right in his own eyes. And that's a big problem because they weren't following the Lord. Elimelech was typical of the Jews that lived during this period. Uh, they didn't follow the Lord. And so Elimelech decided that he would take his family out of the promised land where God intended for his people to live. And he would take them to the land of Moab. And so he left and his family left the place of God's blessing. And so instead of praying that God would supply their needs, that God would take care of them because that's a promise that God had made, they decided that they would leave Israel for what, for what Elimelech thought were greener pastures. And so he took his family into this heathen country where they lived among an idolatrous people. In fact, these were people that were the traditional enemies of Israel. And while they were in Moab... His sons did that which was not pleasing to God, something that was sinful. They married wives of Moab, the very same people that had enticed Israel to sin through unholy marriages. When Israel left Egypt on their way to the promised land, they passed through the land of Moab. They wanted to pass through, but Moab was inhospitable hospitable to them. So God said, I want you to separate completely from those people. I don't want you to have anything to do with the people of Moab, because if your men marry their wives or their women, rather, then you will be led into idolatry. And so God said, separate yourself from them. But this is the place that Elimelech took his family and the men of Israel during that exodus, they, they took women of Moab as wife and they, wives and they began to worship false gods. And so God's judgment fell upon them and there were a plague God sent on Israel and many of the Israelites died. Now, Elimelech knew this. 
mean, Jewish children were taught these stories from the time that they were born. They were raised in this. Uh, They knew the exploits of their forefathers before them. So Elimelech was very much aware that Moab was not a place where he ought to go. But still he decided that he he would take his wife and his children there. So that was a very bad choice. And Elimelech put his family into a bad position. While he was in Moab, he died. And so we have another crisis. There was a famine, and now the head of the household has died and left a mother to raise two children alone. Now, the next part of the story is compromise. After Elimelech died, this was when his two sons married women from Moab. And so now we have an unholy family. Now, the marriage of these two young men to women of Moab indicated that they were willing to settle down in that place and they would put down their roots there. They would be away from Israel where God wanted them to be. They would be out of the place of God's blessings, but that was all right to them. They decided to marry the women of Moab. They compromised their beliefs in the one true holy God and they put down their roots in this terrible place. Well, it wasn't long before these two sons died. Now, the names of Malon and Kilion, the two sons, are kind of interesting. Malon means sickly, and Kilion means puny. Now, I don't know why that Naomi Ray named her children sickly and puny, but uh, that, I guess suppose uh, that was part of the indication of um, the problems that they have. They, they died most likely because of the famine, some disease or whatever, but Naomi recognized that this was the judgment of God upon her. Because they had disobeyed God, Naomi was left without a husband. She was left without her two sons. They had married women of Moab. So now we have three widows that are left to face the world by themselves and to support themselves during this terrible time. Now, do you see what's happening here? There there are lessons to be learned as you go through the book of Ruth. Uh, The Old Testament stories have been given to teach us something. But this is what can happen to you when you leave the place where God wants you to be. If you put your eyes on other things, whether it's financial gain or whatever it might be, if you put your eyes on those things instead of serving and obeying God, you can put your family into a very bad position. In fact, you can lead them away from the Lord, which is, of course, the opposite of what God wants parents to do with their children. So they were more interested in what the world had to offer and rather than praying to God and asking God to bless them and give them what they needed. And so this is what happened to Elimelech. He died. Now he's dead and gone. And he left behind him a legacy of hardship for his wife and for his sons. He had helped cause an unholy family because of the intermarriage between believers and unbelievers. So here is Naomi. She has no means of support. She has no family in Moab. She was in a strange place, in a foreign land. She was destitute. And in those days, a a widow that didn't have family around her to take care of her, it, it was almost like having a sealed, signed death warrant. And that's what Naomi was facing. So she really only had one choice. I mean, she surveyed the landscape of her life and saw what happened and said, well, the best thing for me to do is to go back to Israel. And she hoped that she would find family members there that would be able to take care of her. So she prepared to leave. And as she prepared to leave, her two daughters-in-law got all their stuff together 
and they started off with her. But I suppose that Naomi began to think about their choices. She knew that for two Moabite women, there would most likely be no husbands for them in Israel, but they would be made fun of, they would be put down. Uh, Moabite women wouldn't be welcome in Israel. And so she thought about that choice and, and she knew the trouble that two unmarried women would have. And so she encouraged these two daughters-in-law to turn back, return to their own families and to their own mothers. Now, next we see, thirdly, is the commitment. Now, Naomi was thinking about the welfare of her two daughters-in-law. But as she thought about that, she really showed that she didn't fully trust in the Lord. Now, there's no mistake about this, that Naomi was a believer in Jehovah God, but she was still too much like her husband, Elimelech, because she was thinking about the physical situation of these two daughters-in-law rather than the spiritual. And so she encouraged these two daughter-in-laws to return to their families. Now, she did ask that the blessing of the Lord would be upon them, but a return to their families would most assuredly be a return to the false gods that they worshipped in Moab. And indeed, we find in the 15th verse of that first chapter that Orpah turned back and she went back to the gods that she used to worship. Well, it would have been much better for them to die right on the spot there than it would to live another day in the worship of a false god and rejecting the true God of Israel. But that's what Naomi advised them to do. She encouraged them to turn back. And so we see in chapter 1, verse number 14, a what we might say is just a gut-wrenching moment because here was a family. They had lived together, but now they're about to be separated and here in this, this terribly sad moment, there was a very bad decision, but there was also a moment of tender commitment and belief in Jehovah God. Now, on one hand, there's Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law. She followed Naomi's advice, and she turned back. Her heart wasn't right with God. She went back to her family, and we never hear about Orpah again. So she returned to our, her idolatry. She returned to the sinfulness. And we can only say that today she's in hell with all worshipers of false gods. But Ruth was different. Let's read her words in verses 16 and 17. She spoke to Naomi, verse 16. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Now you may recognize those words as a quotation that's often used in marriage ceremonies. A husband and wife saying these words to each other, but this is not a husband and wife. This is a daughter-in-law speaking to her mother-in-law, and she made a commitment. I mean, this is, this is a, a heart and a life that had been truly converted. Now, at least we could say this about Naomi. She did exert some kind of saving influence upon, upon Ruth, because during that time that Ruth lived with her, she must have learned about Jehovah God, that she must have understood the mercy and the grace of God and so she was determined that she would take God as her Savior, that she would put all of her confidence in him. 
She wanted to go to Na- with Naomi. She wanted to, to take her place among the people of God and to live in an unknown place. She knew that's where God wanted her to be. So the question is, should she take that chance? Should she go to Israel knowing that most likely she could die there because there would be nobody that would accept her? She could die in Israel without a husband, never even a chance of being married. But she had made her choice. She decided that she wanted to follow the Lord God and to go wherever he wanted her to go. So as we look at it, I would have to say that's not really taking a chance at all. Whenever you trust in God, you're not taking a chance. She made a commitment to God, and she knew that God would make a commitment to her. And here we see how that Ruth becomes a great example for us. Because here is a lady that gave her heart to the Lord. She put her trust in the Lord. And so she claved to her. She clung to her mother-in-law. And she said, I will stand with you and with your God. I will go where you go. And nothing's going to separate us but death. She was determined to serve the Lord God. So this wasn't a woman that was looking for a better life. Because she most likely would not have achieved that in Israel, knowing who she was. She wasn't looking for a better life. She was looking towards the afterlife. And that's the most important thing. Eternity is far more important than the here and now. Now with Ruth, she would have lived for just a little while. The word says that our lives are like a vapor that vanishes away. Our lives are like a puff of smoke that in an instant, a gust of wind blows away. But eternity is something else. Eternity is forever. Where you are in eternity never changes. So we look back 3,000 years ago, Orpah, the one who left and didn't follow the Lord, she slipped into an eternity of hell, and today she's still there, and she will always be there because where you go never changes. But Ruth spent eternity eternity with God. I mean, she's still there. She'll be there forever. And that just shows us how important it is for us to trust the Lord now before we pass out of this life when we go into eternity. As I said, it doesn't change. Where you are when you leave the world is where you'll be after you left, uh, after you die. If you haven't trusted Christ, you'll be in the fires of hell. And if you do believe in him, then you'll be in the glories of heaven. So Ruth believed. Ruth and Naomi took, off, took up all of their belongings and they started on this long journey back to Israel to return to the place of worship, to the, one, to the place where the one true living God would be their Lord and their King. Now at the end of chapter 1, they reached Bethlehem and the arrival was noise throughout the city that Naomi had returned But when she got back there, the people saw a very much different Naomi than had left. She describes herself in verses 20 and 21. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? Now back in those days... Names were descriptive of people. I just told you about Malon and Kilion, sickly and puny. Well, Naomi's name meant something. Her name means pleasant. 
And uh, some commentators, I think one said that she was Miss, Miss Sunshine. I mean, she was just a very pleasant person to be around. She left Israel. She left Bethlehem as the very pleasant person. But through these years of hardship and toil, she came back into Israel very, very bitter. So she says, don't call me Naomi any longer. Don't call me pleasant any longer. Call me Mara. And that is a word that means bitter. So she says in verse 20, And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So she says, Don't call me pleasant, don't call me pleasant, call me Mara, call me bitter, because the Almighty hath dealt bitterly with me. So we see how that God brought Naomi back. The years of disobedience had been very hard on her. They'd taken the toll, the sorrow of disobedience. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons-in-law. They were starving. And you could see this in every part of her body language. She was not the same woman. Hardship, sorrow, and anguish is what happens when you disobey God. Well, now we go to the second chapter. Ruth and Naomi are now back in Israel, and the famine had ended. And they arrived at the time of the barley harvest. Now, both of these ladies had cast their lot upon the providence of God, and so now it was time to be proactive to see the way that God would bless them. And that's important also, that when you need help from God, God doesn't want you just to sit down and do nothing. If you expect God to help you, then you need to get busy. And that's what these ladies did. They began to get busy. Ruth began to get busy. See, we can't expect God to let things just fall into our laps when we need him. If you need a job, you have to go look for a job. If you need to be fed, you have to go look for something to eat. So you don't sit down and wait for someone else to take care of you. You get busy. You find something. You go to work. See, God doesn't want anybody to be lazy. And so Naomi was old. And so Ruth had the care of her mother-in-law. That was in Ruth's hands. And there's so many lessons to learn. I wish I could touch on them all. But here's another good one, that children should take care of their parents. You know, we all need to learn that, that our parents raised us and they were good to us. Our mothers took care of us. When they get old, God expects us to take care of them. That's part of honoring your father and your mother. It's a very godly principle. So Ruth got busy. She had to support Naomi and herself. So she went out into the fields to pick up stalks of wheat after the gleaners had passed through. She would pick up what was left in the field and that would be what they would eat. Well, here's a wonderful thing about God. He had special provisions in his law because he was so concerned about the poor and the helpless, the widows, Those who just needed help, God had a provision put into the law about how that people could glean their fields during the harvest. We find it in a few places in Scripture, but this one in Deuteronomy chapter 24, God instructs the people and he says, When thou cuttest down thine harvest in thy field and hast forgot a sheaf in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. 
it shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. So God said, when you go into your fields, when it's time for the harvest, and you begin to cut down the wheat, and you begin to gather it all up, you take as much as you can carry. But whatever falls to the ground, don't go back and pick it up. Don't go back over the field and re-glean everything that you've left. And he said, when you have an olive tree that has olives on it, and you go to shake the tree in the harvest, and the olives fall down on the ground, you pick those up, don't go back and shake the tree again and try to get more olives off of it. When you have grapevines, when you have a vineyard, go and pick your grapes, but don't pick them, uh, don't worry about whether you can get them all at one time. Leave that which is left and let the poor, let the widows, let the orphans, let them come and, and glean that. Let them come and gather up the grapes that are left and the olives that are left. And in this case, let them go and pick up the stalks of wheat that you dropped. So that's what Ruth was doing. Now, God did not say, and we notice this, God did not say to them, now, now children of Israel, here's what I want you to do. All, those, all that wheat that's left in the field and all the grapes that are left on the vine and all the olives that fell off the tree that you didn't pick up, he didn't say, go gather them all up and take them to the poor. He didn't say that. He said, let them come and get it themselves. And that's because God doesn't excuse anybody from work. It's a good lesson that we could learn today. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, Paul said, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So Ruth was poor, but she went in the field to work, and she went to pick up what the gleaners had left. Now we notice in verse number 3 that without noting it, knowing it, Ruth went into the field of a very rich man. And this rich man's name was Boaz, and he was a relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Verse 3 says, And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Now, as we read that, it looks like a chance happening that Ruth just stumbled upon this field. It was just a random thing that happened. But we know that nothing ever happens by chance with God. There is no luck. There is no bad luck or good luck with God. God always works things out according to his marvelous providence. So Ruth was faithful to God and she trusted in God. And so God led her into a place of blessing. So now she's in the field of Boaz and this field becomes to her a field of grace. Now next we see compassion. We see the compassion of Boaz. Well, Boaz went out into the field and he went to check on the young men that were gleaning in the field. And he noticed that Ruth was walking alongside the young men and she was picking up the fallen stalks of wheat. And he didn't recognize her didn't know who she was. And so he called out to his young men to ask them, who was this woman that was in his field? And they said, well, this is Ruth. This is the Moabitess. This is the lady that returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Well, Boaz would have known that story well. I mean, the whole city was a buzz about it that Naomi had returned. So he'd heard about it, but he'd not yet met Ruth. So he, he knew, though, that she had been married to one of his kinfolks. Somebody in his family, Ruth, had married. 
And so when he met her, he commended her for what she'd done and for her taking care of Naomi. So he told Ruth, he said, Ruth, I want you not to leave my field, but to stay here and reap in my field only. Now, this was the beginning of his plan for her. This was the beginning of Boaz's plan. Now, he saw Ruth, and uh, I think I, I read this in one place that the guy said, here's what it says actually in the Hebrew. He said, "Woo!" <laughs> when he saw that beautiful woman. So, Boaz saw her, and he told her not to glean anywhere but his fields, and he told his young men, he said, oh, what, I want you to, what I want you to do is to make sure that she stays here, I want her to get plenty. So he said, you let some handfuls fall on purpose for her. In other words, you've already collected it, throw it out of your basket and leave it on the ground for her. Verse 15 says, And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not, and let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So what a blessing that was to Ruth. Ruth collected more than someone following the gleaners would have collected because they were throwing stuff out for her. So she gathered up more than a bushel of barley and she took it home on that evening and she went back to Naomi. And Naomi said, where in the world did you get all of this? That's not in the King James Version, but I know that's what she said. And so Ruth told her, well, I've been out in the field and I was gleaning there in the field of a man named Boaz. Naomi heard that name, Boaz, and she gulped with excitement and, and, and her eyes got wide and she said, Blessed be the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, This man is kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. Now actually, the way that this was said, it was like, Hallelujah, you couldn't have found a better place to go and glean. And Ruth said, well, he told me not to glean in anybody's field but his. And Naomi said, duh, don't you dare go to anybody else's field but his. And you know what Naomi was doing? She was about to play matchmaker. That's what she was doing. Boaz was a near of kin. And Boaz actually came under another one of God's very special laws. This has to do with what's called the gall, a gall. A gaul is a kinsman, but he's more than just a kinsman. In those days in Israel, the gaul was someone who defended the family's honor. He was someone that if, you, if a member of your family got murdered, then he was the man that would seek vengeance on that to, to take care of the family name. He was the gaul. Now, if a family member had died and they had lost their land, and the gall is the person that would go back and buy that land so that it would remain in the family. If a man had died and left a widow and he had no children, the gall would go and he would marry that woman and he would raise that they would have children and they would raise them and then that land would stay within the family and pass to those family members. Now, Naomi knew this. She knew who Boaz was, and she knew that he had the wherewithal, that he had the wealth, that he had everything that was needed to perform the duties of the gall for them, that she, he could be the one who could buy back their land. If she can just get Ruth married to him, then 
He can buy back the land and he can do the, the work of what's called a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman redeemer. So the redeemer is the one who buys back the land and gets it back into the right family. So the wheels started turning in Naomi's brain and she was going to set it up that Boaz would marry Ruth and then he would buy back the inheritance of Elimelech that was lost when they moved to Moab. Now, here I have to stop for just a moment. I have to tell you why this is so important to us. The kinsman redeemer, the Gaul, Boaz, is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a story that's given to show us Christ in the Old Testament. Do you know why the Son of God had to come in human flesh? Do you know why he had to do that? Why didn't God just save us and not even worry about this whole thing about Jesus becoming a man and coming to the earth? Why did he have to come in human flesh? Well, he had to come that way in order to be related to man. He must be our brother. You see, the law of the kinsman redeemer said that only a close relative could buy back that which was lost. And this is what Christ came to do. He became our close relative and he came in human flesh in order to buy us back to God. He came to buy back what we lost in Adam. We lost our fellowship with God. And so we're in sin and Christ came to redeem us out of the curse of sin. He had compassion on us. He gave his life to purchase our redemption. See, God had put a price on this. God put the price of blood on redemption. And the only blood that would work to buy us back was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus had to come in the flesh. He's God. He can't die as God. So he had to come in the flesh in order to shed his blood and buy us back for, for, to God because we'd lost everything through the curse of sin. So God couldn't send an angel to do that. Now, that would be a mighty convenient thing, wouldn't it? He didn't have to worry about his own son. He could have just sent an angel to die for us. But he couldn't do that because an angel is not kin to us. We're nothing like angels. Hebrews says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made likened to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So an angel would not work. An angel's not like us. And then God couldn't use an animal. Now, animals were types of the sacrifice that Christ would make, but an animal cannot take away our sin. The blood of an animal doesn't work. We find in Hebrews also where it says, for it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Only the sacrifice of God's son could do this. Now, God, of course, as I said, couldn't die. And so he had to become human. He couldn't be our kinsman redeemer unless he became our brother in the flesh. So Christ came in the flesh to buy our souls back to God. So in the story, Boaz is a type of Christ. And the compassion and the grace that he had upon Ruth is a type of the compassion and the grace that Christ had on us. That he was willing to come to this world and die for our sins. And Boaz was willing to become Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Well, now we return to the story. Next is the contract. The contract. Now, Ruth and Naomi set out to do something that was practically unheard of. I mean, they, they had to get Boaz moving. 
They had to get a commitment out of him for marriage. And, and Naomi was especially interested in moving the romance along. Now, you see, I think that Boaz was interested in Ruth from the very first time that he saw her. And said he, he let out that, that, that whistle or whatever when he saw Ruth and how beautiful that she was. And so he fell in love with her. I think it was love at first sight. But he was a longtime bachelor. And those guys, you know, they're not usually too anxious to step out of their comfort zone and get captured by a female. And so rather than have a slow, long courtship develop, Naomi decided to be more proactive in this, and she set it up for Ruth to propose to Boaz. I said that that was unheard of in that time. And what happened next, I don't recommend for Lino to do to get his daughters married, but they did this. Naomi had a plan. They were going to capture a man. And so she told Ruth to wait until Boaz was tired from work after he'd been on the threshing floor all day long, threshing out the wheat, that he would be very tired and that he would lay down on the threshing floor and go to sleep. That's what they did then. They didn't bother about going home. During the harvest, they would stay right there. And all the people actually were gathered around there and they would just camp out right there by the threshing floor. So Naomi said... To Ruth, when he gets tired and he goes to sleep, then you sneak in there at night and you go to him. And this was a very strange custom, but she said, you go to him, you find out where he's sleeping and you slip over there and you lift the covers off of his feet and lay them back. Now, I said, that's a very strange custom. But in those days, that was the same thing as saying, hey, fella, I want to marry you. You came upon a man at night, a woman did this, and just lifted the covers off of his feet and laid them back. That was saying, I want to marry you. So she did that. And at midnight, Boaz woke up. Suppose his feet got cold because she uncovered them. And so he woke up, and there's a woman lying at his feet. And so he was startled by this, and he knew what this was all about. He knew the custom. He was about to get hooked. He was going to get reeled in by a woman. So he says, this is a marriage proposal, but he didn't yet know who the woman was. So he asked, who are you? And Ruth said, surprise, it's me, Ruth. And Boaz said, well, I'm a cook goose now. You caught me. I guess I'll, how can I say no? And that's not actually in the King James either. But here's what Boaz actually said. And he said, blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So Boaz accepted the proposal as brazen as it was, See, he was already in love with her, and this was the best news that he could have, that she was willing to just jump out there and just seize him and try to capture him and make him her husband, and he was willing to do that. But there was a problem with it. There's a problem with it. And the problem is there was another man who was nearer kin than was Boaz, someone closer kin, and he actually had first dibs on Elimelech's property. So Boaz says, well, I, what I have to do first is I have to track down the other guy and see if he wants to marry you. Well, I can imagine then that Ruth's heart sunk. She wanted Boaz. He wanted her. So she went back home to Naomi where Naomi was just itching to hear how the scheme had turned out. And so Ruth told her the whole story. And she said, and, and Naomi said to her, well, this guy's not going to rest on this matter. She said, before this day is through, I guarantee you this matter is going to be settled. 
Well, we go into the fourth chapter, and sure enough, that same day, Boaz took off to Bethlehem to the gate of the city, and there just happened to be the person who was closer kin. Now, you can call that a chance happening, luck if you want, but as I said, there is no luck with God. God had the long-range picture in mind, as we'll see in just a minute. So this guy was at the gate, the nearer kinsman. We don't know exactly who he was. He could have been, actually been Boaz's older brother, but he was nearer kin than was Boaz. And so he, he goes to him and he tells him about the opportunity to buy this land. And he said, here's the whole story. Well, not the whole story. He said, here's the story. You, can, you have the opportunity to get this land. And if you don't want it, then I want to buy it. And the man said, well, you know something? I think that I want it. I think that I want to buy the land. But Boaz had left out a very important detail. He said, ah, but there's a catch to this. If you buy the land at the hand of Naomi, then you also have to get it at the hand of Ruth the Moabitess. You have to marry her because she's the widow of the dead. Well, I'm not going to all the reasons why he didn't want to do this, but he didn't want the land bad enough to get a wife in the process. And so he said, Boaz, you take it. You can have it. You can have both. Well, then they had to have a contract. And there has to be some kind of agreement to, to show that this was what they've decided. And so they had a custom in Israel, uh, another strange custom, but this is how they signified that a contract had been made. We look at verse number 7 of chapter 4. Now this was the manner in the former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe and gave it to his neighbor, and this was a testimony in Israel. So to settle a contract, a fellow would take off his shoe and he would hand it to the person he was making the contract with. And I suppose he walked home kind of sideways because he only had one shoe on. But so here, here's what he did. Therefore the kinsman said unto Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. And Boaz said unto the elders and to all the people, ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Kilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren and from the gate of this place. Ye are witnesses this day. So the kinsman took off his shoe. And they were right there in the gate of the city. And that's where judgments would take place. People would gather at the gate of the city. And that's where they would decide things like this. And so there were plenty of witnesses there to see what had happened. And so they saw that the shoe had changed partners, changed people. And now Boaz had the right to redeem the land and to marry Ruth. That's a great love story. I mean, a lot of, a lot of parts to it. But there's one more very important part, and that is the story has been told to us for a reason. And the reason is what happens at the end of the fourth chapter, and that is the conception. God doesn't put stories like this in the Bible so we can get a warm, fuzzy feeling and say, oh, wasn't that just a great story? No, this is going somewhere. This is a story with eternal consequences. The providence of God is brought to bear on the history of the entire world. So Ruth the Moabitess married Boaz, and there was a baby that was conceived. God honored Ruth's faith. She found a husband, and a baby was born. And that baby's name 
was Obed. And then Obed had a son, and his name was Jesse. And then Jesse had several sons, and among them was a son by the name of David. And God said to David, I will establish thy throne in Israel forever. Well, how did God do that? Well, here's where we need to travel forward 1,300 years in time to when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was born in the city of Naomi, in the city of Ruth, the city of Boaz, and the city of David. And he's the king that will reign forever from the throne of David. Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we look at this and we say, well, what what does that have to do with us? Why is this so important to us? Well, what's so important is that you can be born into the family of Ruth and Boaz and David and Jesus Christ. You see, what Jesus did was to make a contract with the Father. And he said, I will give my life for your people. And God said, then I will forgive them of their sins. Now, it's no accident that Ruth came to Israel. It's no accident that she found grace in the field of Boaz. It's no accident that the nearer kinsman backed out. It's no accident that Boaz was willing to marry Ruth. It's all part of God's plan. It's all in the providence of God. And so we find Ruth in the very first chapter of the New Testament, and she is an ancestress of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, I'd have to tell you, it's no accident that you're here on Mother's Day. There are no chance happenings. There is no luck with God. God always works according to a plan and a purpose. This is a great love story. But the greatest love story that comes out of it is that in Jesus Christ, we have a kinsman redeemer. We have someone who gave his life for us that we might live. We have someone that was willing to go through all that he went through, all the suffering and the pain and the anguish in order to become our savior, to go to the cross, to die and shed his blood, to pay that redemption price that would buy us back to God. It's no accident that you're here today. We all need to hear this story. If you're already saved, you need to hear a story like this just to bolster your confidence in God just to see that God's providence controls everything that goes on in our lives and if you're not saved it's no accident that you're here you need to hear the story because you need to know about Jesus Christ who died to be your kinsman redeemer and bring you back to the heavenly father now remember this that our life is like a vapor that vanishes away this life is nothing eternity lasts forever and you need to know where you will be in eternity so i encourage you trust jesus today if you haven't done that and spend eternity with him let's pray father we thank you for this great story that we have in the word it's just a blessing to be able to retell this and see the beautiful pictures that are there of what jesus did for us the providence of god in our lives the willingness of jesus to 
go to the cross to die for our sins in order to buy us back to you. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here lost today that they would understand what Jesus did and put their trust in him. Lord, thank you again for the time we've met together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.